The following Art Trap production has been made possible in part by subscribers like you. Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi With Ken Deep, James Norton, and Louis Trapani Welcome back to The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi This is episode 6, this is Louis Trapani And with me once again is Mr. James Norton from Across the Pond Hello the legendary James Norton, I forgot to say. <laughs> and as always, by my side, my cohort, Mr. Ken Deep. Hello. Welcome, Ken. Thank you. So we're back here with uh, another Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I got my thumb ready and my um, towel packed and Babelfish in here, and we're all set to record another episode <laughs> of Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, and we want to thank you for listening. Well, our last episode was pretty much devoted to the Torchwood Children on Earth uh, miniseries, if you will. It was a very popular series. It's already out on um, DVD and Blu-ray. So um, if you hadn't had a chance to catch it on BBC America since our last episode and it's um, on proper BBC in the UK, you can now rent or buy it on, um, on discs. Also, it's available on iTunes, too. Yep, it is. It's very, very cool. Is it in, is it on iTunes in the States as yes, well? Yes, yes. Sweet. So you can uh, download it and watch it in HD. Glorious HD. been covering over the progression of episodes that we've been doing the remake of the prisoner which is coming to the u.s uh, now anyone that's knows my stance on remakes and reboots and you know i i think we've seen our full share of it and i'm not sure if we really need any more and it just seems to be a um a crutch that so often is used because it's a built-in audience, so why take a risk on something new and innovative and, and different by coming up with new original material when you can just take something that already has an audience and a following and repackage it and present it as new, and it's already you, you're guaranteed at least that bulk of, of following, that fandom that it already yeah. has, will yeah. actually and tune in. It's not even that even, is it? It's sort of it takes the effort out of having to do something really because all the ideas, you know, you don't really have to 
really make any massive changes to the storyline. Okay, you have to maybe write a new script, but the idea is there, and you can you can go away and you know modify it somewhat. But um, it's not like anybody has to have any originality anymore. Yeah, it's it's sad, and you know, and I think there are original ideas out there. It's just that the backing for these ideas, that you know, the studios that that actually you know upfront the money to produce these and and make these ideas in into um, reality, you know, turn an idea into a media project, be it television or movies or or whatever, is yeah. you know they they're just too they they just don't want to take that risk, and it's yeah, unfortunate. exactly, it's a big risk, yeah. As far as as far as the studio is concerned, whereas they know that at least they'll get some return yeah. if they make a if they make a remake of something, because as you as you said, they it already has a uh, a following, an, an audience that uh, will certainly go out and watch it and buy the DVDs and buy the merchandise and so on. So, so what, that brings us to this Prisoner remake, which is um, obviously a remake from the classic Patrick McGowan series, which he not only starred in it, but he produced and had written for it. It's a, The original series is a 17-episode series that was uh, produced in North Wales, in Port Merriam, yep. where, well, that's where it was shot. I shouldn't say produced, but it was shot there on location. That was uh, the village that was used as the location. And it was um, the late 60s, 1968 or 69, I think it was. I think it was from 67 to 68, okay. if, if I remember rightly. But so, I, I Somewhere in that ballpark. In the, in, yeah, in late the, 60s. The late 60s. So, And... If you haven't had a chance to catch it, it is it is available, I believe, both on, on both sides of the pond and probably elsewhere as well on DVD. And I hear that it's coming on, since it was shot on film, that there'll be a HD release at one point mm. coming soon. So that's something you might want to make a note of if you, you know, uh, I'm not sure about the release date on that. I'll have to get back to you on that. But the 40th anniversary edition of the whole set is available via... Amazon, I'm sure it's else available elsewhere as well. But uh, there's there is a whole series collection that you can. It's in the in the U.S. It's through A and E Entertainment is um, the distributor of that DVD. Yeah. So we've been covering this U.S. remake, and it's been on again, off again, sort of. And we heard different people lined up as far as the casting goes. So last month was in San Diego, was the Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, which we covered in Doctor Who Podshock as far as the Doctor Who and Torchwood coverage of that event. Also at that event, they premiered a trailer, a special nine-minute long, actually it's just over nine-minute long trailer that was presented at for the Comic-Con audience to give a taste of this new Prisoner remake series that's coming to AMC, American Movie Channel. Yeah. And I have to say, it's great as well that um, ITV have had a, a stake in the remake as well uh, over here in the UK because they lately they've um, axed, uh, of course, um, their Doctor Who alternative, if you like. Um, a primeval? Of, primeval, of course. Um, because they just, although they had the ratings, obviously they're not getting as much money from it as they can with a lot of reality television programs, which is all that they, they seem to be producing these days. So it's brilliant that at least they've, they've, ha- they've had a part in, in this production mm-hmm. and are, are willing to invest in some, some sci-fi. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Now, wasn't the original Prisoner on ITC? 
I, yeah, it was on ITV, I think, if I mm-hmm. remember rightly. It, it certainly, I don't think it was a BBC production. Yeah. Um, I think I think ITV had a big stake in it. Or one of its at the time, it was sort of a, a weird setup in the UK where you had a lot of regional based studios that would produce content for ITV sort of locally. And I guess that this will have been an example of that. The prisoner will have been an example of that. Um, and ITV, you know, will have will have bought it off of of whoever made it regionally. And if um, memory recall, if my if um, if I recall correctly, I believe in the states it was originally shown on CBS, which is you know usually when you hear British television coming to the states, it's usually relegated to PBS stations or um, now in, to- in today's world one of the. Uh, cable satellite channels that's off the main network so but at that time these channels at least the cable satellite channels didn't exist but um, from my understanding i believe it was on cbs when it was shown in the states which is that's a, quite interesting a major network yeah yeah because as you say it's, it's not that's not typical of uh of, of, of today's sort of culture where it is it is a lot of the cable networks or indeed PBS it seems like the you have to really have satellite or cable in order to to get a decent dose of sci-fi mm-hmm. now with that said I don't know if it was shown on during prime time hours it could have been shown during off hours which I suspect might have been the case yeah I'll, I'll have to look further into that what we're talking about now is that AMC has brought the series back. That's coming in just um, in about three months from now, November. I don't. We don't have an actual date, but it's coming in November. Or, or do we have a date? But I, um, it's definitely November, and it's obviously follows the original concept of the show, though they've made a lot of changes. It's um, now it's it's no longer in Northern Wales. It's somewhere in the desert in North America, it seems. Looks like it, yeah, from the trailer. The biggest thing going for it, I think, is Sir Ian McKellen playing number two. Yeah. Which, from what we can gather from the nine-minute trailer, is that he's going to be the continuing number two, where, as opposed to the original series, you had a different uh, number two, a new number two, um, pretty much in each episode. Mm. As the the balance of power sort of shifted, if you like, mm-hmm. because we, maybe we should explain that um, it's it's this this village where um, there's, there's several hundred people living who have to who seem to sort of carry out their lives quite happily, really, but don't really have any knowledge out of the outside world and don't really seem to care. And everybody, instead of having a name, everybody's given a number based upon their importance with sort of running the village. And the most important character is number two. And you're introduced to this relatively new arrival, who's known as number six. And it's about his, his struggle to, to escape um, from the village and his adventures there. And yeah. there, he was brought there for some information that's that that the the entity that's controlling the village wants to know. Yes, yeah. So, and supposedly number two is answering to to that entity. The higher authority. Yeah. yeah, and and the you know number six quest is always to find you know well who's number one because obviously number two is answering to someone, but we don't know. Yeah.
Where am I? In the village. What do you want? Information. Whose side are you on? That would be telling. We want information. 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 You won't get it. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> so it's, the, it's... the original series was very much in, in the tradition of Star Trek, which was an allegory of a commentary of socialism, uh, not socialism, but social commentary of um, possible future events, if you like. Yeah, but, in a way. but putting it in a in a make believe setting, so you can actually make commentary on society and yes, politics, well. and That's and um, and kind of get away with it in television without yeah, without being too political or without you know having it in in terms of directly commenting yeah. on something. Yeah, and know. that that goes back to um, Rod Serling did that with the Twilight Zone. He was um, you know he was constantly when he before he did Twilight Zone, he was constantly being chastised because he couldn't do what he wanted to do and couldn't make the commentaries that he wanted to make and he kind of wrapped it around science fiction and then he was able to, to say what he wanted to say which Gene Roddenberry followed suit with Star Trek as well yeah and it, it's nice that really that um, sci-fi can borrow ideas like that but still keep some form of originality um, which I guess in, in the 50s and 60s is, is kind of like well, from my perspective, anyway, is seen as the golden age of sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, where there was it was almost in a way the biggest thing on television, and people had a huge interest in it, and there was this explosion of um, of ideas and new series and movies and all sorts out there, you know, uh, from in every different form of media, right through from books to to, to radio series to television to film. And it, it really influenced heavily modern society and popular culture. And, you know, without it, things would be dramatically different. And, you know, from that aspect, I'm, you know, it, it, I, I quite like it that they, that they are revisiting the older sci-fi series, the classic sci-fi series, mm-hmm. in order to kind of bring it to a new audience. And, and we've talked about this on Doctor Who Podshock because in the modern day, a lot of people seem to be turned off from watching something, if it's in black and white or if it's sort of, for want of a better phrase, lo-fi without any, you know, very high-tech special effects or, um, you know, sort of hokey sets, whatever, they can't seem to get past that, you know. Which is a shame. Which is a shame, because part of it was sort of, okay, there had to be enough of a sort of, special effects and and so on for you to to suspend your disbelief but at the heart of it is the story and that's why i'm quite glad that they're they're remaking it which will make it accessible to a whole new generation really and as well as that will sort of garner new interest in the golden age of sci-fi because the more sci-fi that people are exposed to and the more the more good sci-fi and the more good television and things that, that, that people are exposed to, they'll demand good television. 
um, in a way. And it, that doesn't just obviously doesn't apply to just sci-fi. It applies to you know everything that you have on television. In order to get good television, you've got to demand it from the networks. Um, uh, you know, it seems that. Well, I, I almost was going to quote um, Tom Baker when I was saying this, but it, it almost seems like they'll put any old tripe on television. <laughs> um, well, it's true. It's true. I mean, I anytime I'm visiting someone that's watching, because I don't watch network television here in the U.S. Very rarely do I watch anything on the prime channels here in the U.S. And when I am exposed to that, I, I'm still, you know, and so much of it is just... It, I I can't even call it television. It's it's um these hokey reality shows where it's not even reality. It's all stage. Everything. It's on a set. It's in in a studio. And you know you have these contestants that they they're pretty much you know whatever. It's just so I I, I just if it's so formulaic more yeah. than anything else. I mean I'm all for um science. Uh, I'm all for science fiction. Obviously I'm all for science fiction. I'm all for reality television shows. If a they bring something new to the table, and B, um, that television channels aren't swamped by pure just just reality television. There has to be more to television than than that. Television should inspire and it should educate and it should excite people. That's that's yeah. when you yeah. when television is 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 at is, is at its best when mm-hmm. it inspires people. It it. it but most of these reality shows don't even aren't even real, so they're not. I mean, it's miscategorized as reality television because it has nothing to do with reality whatsoever. The, yeah, even when they're pretending lazy. to be reality, there's you know if they're they're out somewhere supposedly you know in in a barren landscape, whatever. There's a cameraman and a crew right around you. Don't you know? Don't, don't be fooled for a second that they're really um, in desperate measures there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. I, we're straying from from what we're talking about. So getting back yeah, to well, everybody knows basically how we we feel yeah, about yeah. that kind of thing. But I guess we're just excited, really, because it's great that they that they've brought the prisoner back, and it has been, uh, I think, anyway, over this side of the pond, quite heavily anticipated. Yeah, I think it's anticipated here as well. I mean, I think as we started when we talked about remakes and. Um, reboots and reimagined material it has a built-in audience and here you have a series that's been around since the late 60s and you have older fans newer fans coming into the fold and hopefully this will energize people to check out the original series since it's unfortunately not being shown on pbs or anywhere uh, here in the states to my knowledge so it's only available via either i don't even know if it's available on itunes but i know it's available through dvds rentals and and whatnot so you can get exposure to the original. So I really recommend people checking out the original. And that's the other point of the matter. I, I mentioned Sir Ian McCallum playing number two, but playing the title role, number six, in the new series is, um, and I hope I get his last name right, Jim Cavazel? Yeah, it's, he's, it's always a very difficult name to, to pronounce. I think he was he was a chap, I think, who played Jesus in um, Passion of the Christ. Yeah, I haven't I seen think. that, but it, it I haven't could seen well it be, either. Yeah. But uh, I, I always thought it was Cavazil or something it, it, like that. Like I said, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but uh, he's playing... Um, I'm sure we'll s- find out very soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's playing number six, who, as I mentioned before, was originally played by Patrick McGoohan, and I think he's has to fill some pretty big shoes there, because Patrick McGoohan yeah. had such a, um, a style on how he played that role, which um, I don't... Th- 
No, I mean, we, we've only seen a nine-minute trailer, which is actually a, a nice big chunk, you know, compared to usually yeah. you see a, just a two-minute trailer for something. So it, it does give you a little bit more to go on than a normal, you know, size trailer. But still, until we actually see it, I don't want to prejudge him too much, yeah. but I do think he has, you know, big shoes to fill and there's going to be a lot of comparisons. But from what I can gather from what we've seen so far, I don't think he's trying to mimic Patrick McGoon no. in any way. I think he's just he's taking this role and just playing it on his own way without any and, you know sense of trying to um, yeah to recreate Patrick McGoon's character. That's the best way because you know if if you do try and, and emulate that original performance, um, a I don't think I don't think you'll be able to do it justice. And also I think that it will become almost like a, a parody or a caricature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that would be the worst thing to do because, you know, as we said, I'm, I'm, you know, I think there are too many remakes out there, but I'm all for um, doing them in a way, provided that they that they do the original series justice and they and um, they bring something new to the table, as you said earlier. And that's important. And I think from this this promo, this nine minute promo that, that, that has been released, and you can find on our on our website if you go to Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi dot com. Mm-hmm. Or indeed, just simply arttrap.com. Yeah, uh, it'll be there on the main page, and you can watch it in all its nine minutes and fourteen seconds of glory. It it looks really interesting. What the hell this is this place? place? Oh my God! Get out of here! I am not, not a dumber. Truth is right inside. Knock knock. See how the sun makes it all glow. What are you doing in the mountains? Six? Yes. What did you call me? Where is the old man? Tell him all that I got out. I don't even know how I got to this place. I want to get back to New York. That's not possible. There is no New York. There's only the village. Where is this place? It's the village. Yeah, but what village? Hey, man, what gives with you? This is the village, and I do local destinations. Hey, hey, hey! What's happening to me? I wish you could fight it. Fight what? Reality. That old man found something. And if he can do it, I can. I'd like to buy a map. Biggest one you got. Big enough for you? You are here. Where's the road out of here? Oh, you cracked me up, Six. You've not seen me before. Welcome to the village. Everybody knows everybody. Be seeing you. He is resistant. He needs to be investigated. He's different. Six, look, I understand that you believe these things, but please don't meddle in other people's lives. Can you honestly tell me that the village is all that there is? You're one of us. It's the truth. Isn't it beautiful? Who are you, people? Newcomers. Where have you come from? You just got off the bus. But where did you get on the bus? Well, the village. No, this is the village. You've arrived here. Isn't that just the wildest thing? <laughs> I mean, it's 
it's great that they've kept a lot of the obviously they've updated it and they they've they've changed a few things but it looks like a lot of the original elements are there and i was very pleased to see that Mm -hmm. the rover is making a return (laughs) which is 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 pretty um and they didn't try to overthink the rover no yeah and i like well the same yeah Uh, also uh, as far as catching the classic episodes the amc website has um, yes thanks classic episodes to watch which you can watch i think it's available on Hulu as well, perhaps, and as you said, the uh, the website you can actually watch the episodes there. Mm. Mm. And uh, aside from that, as well, to kind of go on, a, on a, something of a tangent, um, I don't know if we reported on this in previous shows. I can't remember, um, but this is, uh, as far as I'm aware, this is sort of a mini series, if you like, um, and it, it's rumored that, um, well, Christopher Nolan, who of course. Um, brought back the the Batman franchise mm-hmm. with, with Batman Begins and the Dark Knight. He's signed a, a deal to direct another uh, movie, which will debut in 2011. And the speculation is that it, it's going to be essentially very much like The Prisoner, if not exactly The Prisoner, which I think is quite interesting because I don't know whether you could do a movie of it. it, it of all the series that comes to springs to mind i think christopher nolan would be brilliant to do it because he's he's a fantastic director and the dark knight was a and batman begins were brilliant films mm-hmm. um and, and uh the prisoner is a show that we're all very fond of and we're really thrilled that they're bringing back but i doing a movie um straight off the the back of it maybe isn't the best or wisest idea. But it's just um, hard to imagine that being capi- ca- capsulized in a two-hour or a two-and-a-half-hour format. Three-hour, yeah, would be amazingly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I heard that lately anyway, and I, I think it, it was originally reported in The Guardian, as far as I remember, way back in February. Um, but I don't think we mentioned it, but I think it's worth making a point of it now because I wasn't aware that it was that it that this was a mini series um that AMC had, had made just a mini series I thought that they they had um uh that they were going to spawn it in, into several series yeah I don't I I thought that as well I I assumed that this was going to be a an ongoing series but I guess that that now at, on the back of um Battlestar Galactica, which came back in 2003 with a miniseries first, I believe. Yes, it was um, but a, a, a quote miniseries. It was just like two or three episodes, and then yeah. it became a full series. Yeah, but it, it became a full series off the back of that, because mm-hmm. that was such a huge success, and the DVDs sold so well, and clearly well, it gelled, it's, it's it worked. It's 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 coincidental that you just bring this up now because I was just going to make a point that if this is um if this is the case with it going to the big screen the prisoner if it's called that it's um won't be the first time that you'll have a remake or a reimagined series on television and then on the big screen because now the same thing's happening with Battlestar Galactica Brian Singer has just been announced as um headlining spearheading the project of a Battlestar Galactica feature movie which um, will be another reimagined series from the original 1978 series. It's not going to so be... Is it, is it, it's not going to be like either series, basically. That it's it's going to be, be another be... new beginning, yeah. To, uh, that's to my understanding. Wow, interesting. Well, I, I wonder if they'll have any of the 
either of the original or the updated actors in it making cameos. That'd be quite cool. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. So, but again, uh, some other differences here, uh, as I had mentioned before, is that the village here seems like to be somewhere placed somewhere in a um, in a um, desert, desert surroundings. Yeah. It's a different type of with Port Marion in, in North Wales. It was very beautiful, and I always it took really, it as a gilded cage. You know, even the most beautiful settings could be a a a, um, a cage. You know, here yeah. it's it's a little car. You know, I want to say cartoonish, a little offsetting, and it's un, it's a little surreal. This village here. Yeah, but I quite like it from the it's, images that we've yeah, seen. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. You know. Saying but, I'm not criticizing it for it. I'm just no. saying I'm just, uh, You're just detailing the differences. Yeah, but in in a way, it's nice that you've got that stark con- contrast, um, and and they're taking it from a different direction. And as well as that, you know, when you think about if you if you do want to encage someone, uh, you know, prison someone, the best way would to be to have it somewhere that's very difficult to escape from. And a desert is a is, yeah. is a, a a brilliant example of that. The, the original um, village was, uh, you know, I was giving you the actual location where it was shot, but the, in the storyline, it was pretty much an island that yes. he was surrounded by water and would have to somehow escape via air or or by means or of wo- yeah. um, water transportation. Yeah. Mm. But I, I think it's it it's great that they brought it back, and the trailer looks from the trailer alone. I'm very excited about this. I mean, I was excited when I heard that they were bring it back and I've kind of kept up with the I guess like you guys I've kept up with the um the the photos that have come out and the little tidbits of news but this really is the best sort of insight into what we can expect um and I'm very very thrilled with what I'm what I've seen uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah I think as we you know kind of said before is that I think it's it's um, going in a new direction, but at the same time, it's staying true to the, the principles of the original series, which is obviously rather important. And uh, I think that that's that's the key to to staying true to the original show. That's the key to its, its success. I think you know you see rovers returning, roots. yeah, and but but at the same time you know, do something a little bit different and take something from a slightly different approach. And I think that they've that they've done that here, or at least from the, the trailer anyway. We'll have to and wait. And there may be another returning familiar aspect of the original series, if not maybe for a small cameo. All right. Ken, did you have anything more that you wanted to? No, I'm looking forward to this. I had heard it was six episodes as far as it being a miniseries. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. As opposed to, well, I guess... That in in terms of the um, television in the states, that that really is a mini mini series. Yeah, yeah. Here in the UK, I think that that you that's know that's almost, almost a full fun. series <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Well, but, I know uh, the original Office was only like eight episodes per series. Yes, yeah. The the British Office, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that thirteen even for, for for Doctor Who is quite a long, you know, quite a long uh, run, really. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of television over here, uh, so yeah, um, I guess uh, it, it really is a mini mini series in terms of the states where you usually have like twenty two, twenty three yeah, episodes per series, mm-hmm. something like that. But usually they're a lot shorter, right? That you know, usually American shows are twenty minutes or something like that without the adverts. Well, for not not for like um, 
dramas really dramas and and sci-fi dramas are usually in an hour format and and once you take the commercials out it comes down to unfortunately about 45 minutes 40 44 minutes somewhere in that ballpark yeah 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 okay cool Moving along, we've gotten some feedback as far as, um, well, first piece of feedback was, I think, through Facebook, where someone had inquired to us um, about Blake 7. And as you, if you've been listening to our show, you know that we're advocates of Terry Nation's Blake 7 series, which um, came in the late 70s and ran through the early 80s. It's, um, if you're familiar with Doctor Who of that same time era, it's pretty much in that same flavor as far as production values goes it's uh um it's a it's a decent story if i really recommend anyone checking it out and it's also a forerunner of many series that came after that that kind of took the same concept everything from farscape to um firefly have um all had their inspiration through blake seven so um someone had written to us asking where to start and with that, and I believe if and I don't want to speak on Ken's behalf, but I, I believe Ken had suggested, and I would say the same is the good place to start is obviously at the beginning, which kind of tells is a stepping point for the series. It, um, it kind of gives you the foundation of of what it's about, and then from there, there maybe there are other key episodes that um, that you can touch upon that will bring you to different points of the story we should say that it is a developing story so characters evolve through it um, situations change things may not be exactly um you know you can't just it's unlike star trek where you can pretty much pick and pull any episode from any series and watch them in pretty much any order and it will still all make sense that's not necessarily the case with blake seven because things do change so ken did you have any stories that you wanted to highlight maybe as far as key episodes well i mentioned in an email um it, it a message back on facebook was that the obvious place to start is the beginning and there's really nothing wrong with that that's the way the majority of brits wound up watching the show i suppose from from the beginning but the pilot episode really isn't your typical blake seven episode that's and it's very easy to be a bit turned off by just watching the pilot, you might be like, this is really kind of dry. And I didn't see the pilot episode until I was a fan of the show for over a year. And I joined the show in the middle and picked up because the characters were interesting and the situations were interesting. I wound up liking the show and then wound up going back to try to catch it from the beginning. And when I did that, um, I wound up starting with the second episode. And there, in the second episode, there's a little bit of a recap as to what happened in the first episode. But you're you're already in the mix with all the characters. And in the second episode, all pretty much all of the seven are there. And there's even a few um, there's a few um, decoys. I, I wouldn't say MacGuffin, no, but, but but decoy characters, the characters you thought you think might be part of the seven, and some will wind up staying on, and some will wind up leaving or getting killed or both. 
so you don't really have a sense yet of, as to who is going to wind up sticking around or surviving. And the there's some some of the dynamics that make the show interesting over the long haul are already in place in that second episode. So if you wanted to go from somewhere in the beginning where you could follow the majority of the storyline, even the second episode, it might even be better than the first because you may find the first one a bit dry. And it's interesting with that first episode, going back and watching the pilot where we were just talking about the prisoner. One of the things about Blake seven is that the pilot sets up Blake seven, the series to be a bit like the prisoner where there's a, there's a possibility that events could keep reoccurring. Um, and, and that, that there's a, this vicious cycle going on. The producers later in the show's run decided to go in, in different directions, but, but it's interesting to see that there's definitely a prisoner influence in that pilot episode. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately this is only available. The original series is only available on DVD in region two format. And I know if you want it in Region 1 format, all you need to do is wait for me to purchase the Region 2 DVDs, and then they'll announce the <laughs> they'll announce the Region 1 availability. It's, it's unfortunate that it hasn't been released elsewhere outside of Region 2, um, at least I, to my knowledge. I don't know if it's on other regions, but it's not available as a Region 1 disc, unfortunately, at this time, which it's, it is unfortunate. And we were hoping to actually, we were hoping to see this come to DVD even before Doctor Who, because it was um, at the time the B BFW, BFS, I think it is, was um, the video um, distributor for it on VHS and had announced the DVDs back in late 90s. And well, here we are over 10 years later, and it still hasn't shown up yet. But you can order it through um, um, Amazon and um, any place that, you know, ships, you know, um, Region 2 discs. And you can watch it now. As for, if you have a region-free player, obviously you won't have a problem. But otherwise, you can watch it on your computer. You can use the VLC player on, on your computer, Mac or PC. doesn't matter. It's multi-platform and watch it that way. You can archive the stuff from video and, and for your own personal use <laughs> and watch it that way. Uh, there's also, outside of the original series, now there's the audio dramas, which are available, and that's uh, th that's not um, hindered by region coding because it's on CDs, so uh, you can purchase those. I know we've done promos in the past with Mike Mike's Comics, and it's available there, and you can relive the series that way, too. Yeah, it is a, a bit of a, a different telling from when we're... Again, going back to the prisoner, they're reimagining the prisoner. They've reimagined Blake Seven and, and taking it in a little bit of a different direction. And it's it's darker. I think the audio dramas are darker than the classic show, which was a pretty dark show. Mm. It was ahead of its time in many ways. And as you mentioned, uh, it was an influence on things like Firefly and, and Farscape, where things weren't always predictable. Characters could go at a moment's notice that what you think of as typical in television, uh, a character not being shot in the back. I mean, on American television, you would never shoot a character in the back, <laughs> not on Blake Seven. Yeah. And, and, and where that's characters one of the things that's very impressive about it. Mm -hmm. What do you think I'm going to do? I think you're going to kill me, Travis. With or without orders from the Supreme Commander. With orders, Blake. All right, Travis. 
And I was just going to say, where characters aren't broadly painted good or bad, I mean, some you, know, you don't know where certain characters may stand as far as their loyalties go. And yes. and this um, series really, as far as science fiction television series, is, was a four, uh, probably the, the only one, the first one that really went in that direction where um, you don't know where certain people stand and um, and, and, you know, where they may go. So it's interesting in that respect as well. It has some excellent character development because characters really do change from episode to episode or from season to season. It, in that way, it's it's probably the single greatest strength of Blake Seven. It hasn't you know? It definitely doesn't rely on special effects, and the stories were were fifty fifty. Some stories were excellent; other stories were a little shady. But even the episodes that weren't the stories that weren't the best, the characters were so interesting and the development was so fascinating that you would stay with it even though a story might be complete rubbish. It, it didn't matter. And there are a ton of Doctor Who alum involved in Blake Seven from writing and acting and music and directing. So there's a, there's a definite feel about the show that will seem familiar to fans mm-hmm. of classic Doctor Who, in particular the Tom Baker era. And, and that continues to t- today. We just had um, in the next upcoming episode. Well, actually, by the time this comes out, it will be the most recent episode of Doctor Who Podshock. We interviewed Dominic Glynn, who's a, a uh, music composer of the Doctor Who series from um, from the late '80s, who is now doing music for Blake Seven. Absolutely, and, and it's nice to see that someone is continuing keeping Blake Seven alive and doing it through the audio medium. And and as Big Finish really set the bar pretty high on audio dramas. They really do a spectacular job, even though this is a separate company. It's B7 Productions that puts it out. They they realize there's a market for something like this, and the science fiction fans have a great imagination and won't run from, run from something like an audio drama. I mean, science fiction fans are reading enthusiasts, they're audio drama enthusiasts, they're cinema enthusiasts. It doesn't matter. If they if something is piquing their imagination, they're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, it's a great medium. And, and, and then the success of these B7 audios can and, and are hoping will lead to a television production in the future. I know Sky had, had um, exercised an option on it, and, I, and I'm really haven't heard too much as far as updates go from there and i hope they have all the things to be reimagined blake seven is, is screaming to come back to the to our television screens yeah we in our first episode of hitchhiker's guide to british sci-fi we had ben ivanovich on our show which um again who has worked in doctor who and um is now involved with the blake seven audio productions as well as um hopefully um as you said, um, it's seeing light again on television again. The original series was five series or four? Uh, it, was, it was four series. Four series. It, it, it was actually at the end of the third season, they thought that the show was going to go off the air and it was renewed very late. So there's actually the season finale of the third series is an episode called Terminal and it pretty much wraps up the show. It, mm-hmm kind of comes to a conclusion a pretty solid conclusion and they could have ended it right there and then at the last minute the show was was renewed and they 
came out with a fourth series that is very different than the first three. And again, I talk about how the show is changing and progressing. If you, if you watch the fourth series and you only watch the fourth series, you would have an entirely different opinion as to what Blake Seven was all about than if you had seen any of the um, first three seasons. Absolutely. All right. Well, we do obviously. We just wish it was a. a available more accessible as it is right now and hopefully that will change and uh, yeah, even on itunes would be a, a big bonus yeah yeah i mean it used to be shown on pbs here back in the day when doctor was shown on pbs and unfortunately and the prisoner was shown at that time on pbs as well um on many stations and um it seems like now it's very hard to find any science fiction of any caliber on pbs they did they picked up the christopher eccleston uh, Doctor Who season, and I think Tennant's first season, and we're running it for a while. But the problem that PBS had was that they were on the heels of Sci-Fi Channel here mm-hmm. in the states showing it, so they were getting the second helpings. You know, it was great that they didn't have any commercials in it; it was unedited, so you saw the the full, yeah. the full episode. Plus, they showed a, a, a mini version of the Doctor Who Confidential, which wasn't available on the sci-fi channel so they actually had a little bit of a of bonus content there to round out the hour but again it, if you've seen the episode already only the most ardent fans would probably watch it on pbs or if they were lucky some people who had heard about it and and this was their opportunity to catch it so, but i think they 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 were um the dvds were out as well and that's something that was very accessible to people unlike when PBS had the original show, VCRs were uh, a new were new technology at the time. And the biggest uh, we we spoke about the various Doctor Who connections that Blake Seven had, but the biggest one is its creator Terry Nation is responsible for the Daleks that really um, springboarded Doctor Who into um, um, the mainstream in in the UK back in 1963 mm. and started Dalek Mania and really made Doctor Who the um, the staple show that it is. I mean, he, he's done other stuff as well, but he's, um, I think, probably Doctor Who and Blake Seven are probably the two um, items that, that Terry Nation's probably best known for. Yeah. Other than uh, Survivors, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, Survivors in the UK, we, we never received Survivors. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't have it on DVD. It wasn't on our PBS stations. So, uh, and I don't even think BBC America has the the new version, right? I, I'm, I don't think so. I, I wish I could tell you, but I don't have BBC America. <laughs> <laughs> Damn cable company, eh? I, again, so that that's where we say that's that's our stance as far as Blake Seven goes. Uh, you can start with the first episode, but realize that's not really a typical Blake Seven episode. So, but it does give you the background. It, it gives it you the, the second episode is also a, a worthwhile starting mm-hmm. place, as I mentioned, because the characters are, are already in place. And if you're expecting a little more excitement, there's probably a little more action in yeah. the second episode yeah. than there is in the first. That starts in the if it's been some years, but that starts in the shuttle. The the yes yes the, yeah um, they're in the London, which is the the prisoner ship, and the second episode is called Spacefall. And it's, a, it's also an excellent way to start. The Way Back is the pilot episode. But I would also recommend there's, a, there's an episode. It's the, it's the premiere. It's the series, the first episode of the third series called – wasn't Power Play. It was the one before that. Um, 
and that's where I actually started. It was the. That's where you came in. I came in and, and things were already happening and things were going very fast and furious. But the characters, there were a few new characters being introduced. The characters that were staying on were still there. And I just jumped in with both feet. And it was very easy to pick up from that point. And as a matter of fact, it, it, it was interesting because I was very curious about the backstory. So I was following a current story and I was getting bits and pieces of what they were doing and where they were going with this. So... It's probably not your your typical starting place, but I did it, and I wound up becoming a very big fan of the show. So it, it, clearly, it works, and and it, there's enough going on there that you would um, you would be able to understand. Okay, this is what they're doing. This is where they're going. All right. Well, that and like I said, there are various Doctor Who crossovers, and you know, one of the main adversaries. She's um, you, you you'll see her in Doctor Doctor Who as well. And Aftermath, by the way, was the, the okay. episode name of the first one in the third season. Yeah, uh, Jacqueline Pierce plays Servalan, who you'll recognize from, from the, the two, two doctors. doctors. And yeah. Michael Keating was in The Sunmakers and Paul Darrow in Timelash and The Silurians. So there's, there's some – and actually Gareth Thomas, who played Blake, was in the first season of Torchwood. Torchwood. Yeah. So there are – you know, you'll see some familiar faces there. And um, – it's definitely a worthwhile show. Uh, really is. It's my in, in British sci-fi terms. It's my second favorite. You know, only to Doctor Who, uh, <laughs> as far as what I really enjoy and 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 just get into. I soak up the episodes and the characters, and it's a, it's a really great time. And it's 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 dark and it's different, and and it was ahead of its time in many ways. And, mm-hmm. and, and very much emphasis on characters, and that's really the I think the heart of the series. Everything else is good as well but if it wasn't for the strong developing characters i think that's what really kept me going as well because yeah, and there's nothing nothing glitzy or, or glamorous with the characters they're very real they're real people you don't have the brad pitt angelina jolie you know mm-hmm. hollywood chiseled good looks kind of thing and the characters aren't pure good and evil and one of the good guys wearing white and the bad guys wearing black or anything like that it isn't like that there's there's ambiguity there's questions there are uh, the characters you're not sure which way they are they're not sure whether they're good or bad the bad guys don't think they're bad the good guys don't think they're bad you know, it's it's it really is a great dynamic and, and for that alone it makes the, the series worth checking out i think we're going to move along we have a couple of feedback um that we've received that we need to address we have one that kind of occasionally we have a piece of feedback that kind of slips through the cracks and goes. Um, this one is um, actually we we didn't get to and we apologize for that. But um, here we are. We're getting to it now. So this is a, a bit of an older piece of feedback. But this is from Brad and Raleigh, North Carolina. Hi, Lewis, Ken, and James. Thanks for the new podcast. I'm enjoying the discussions about British sci-fi. It's entertaining and informative. I have to disagree with you somewhat about the American version of Life on Mars. I understand your points about remaking sci-fi shows rather than coming up with completely new ones, and I agree with them for the most part. But I feel that Life on Mars is a different case. Consider this. I'm a lifelong American Doctor Who fan who occasionally branches out into other British sci-fi, comedy, and drama. Therefore, I'm pretty familiar with British terms like rubbish, 
rather than trash or torch rather than flashlight, I've gotten fairly used to the English way of speaking over the years. However, some UK accents are thick enough that I have trouble understanding my own language. The urban accents in Life on Mars are like that. And I often have trouble just understanding what the actors are saying. Heck, I even have trouble with David Tennant's Doctor once in a while. So, when I watched the first episode of the British version of Life on Mars, I could not really get into it. When the American version debuted, I decided to give it a try, and I'm really enjoying it much more. Well, if the accents make that much of a difference to me, then I imagine it would have an even greater effect on audiences who have not watched Doctor Who or other British programs as much as I have. Add to it the fact that it's much easier for me to identify with a U.S. city of the 1970s rather than a U.K. city of the 1970s, because there are noticeable differences. And I can understand very well why ABC chose to remake Life on Mars rather than re-air it. As indicated, I'm enjoying the American series very much, and I look forward to it returning in January. I did say this was an older email. There have been some very good stories so far, and I have no idea which ones are remakes and which ones are not. I suspect the same is true for the average American viewer. So I just wanted to give another perspective on that discussion. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Brad in Raleigh, North Carolina. Obviously, this is... This email actually goes back to December, so the series did come back in January, and unfortunately it, it was then, you know, canceled. And as I had said in uh, previous episodes, is that I think the American version has um, had a quality of its own. It was going in some different directions, and compared to a lot of other uh, American television, I thought it was a pretty good series. Uh, that having been said, I still think that it's... Before the launch of the remake, they've um, had an opportunity that summer since uh, a lot of, as we were discussing before, a lot of British series, the, the, the series length isn't as long as an American series length. There were only uh, eight episodes per series of Life on Mars of the original British series. They could have taken those um, eight or 16 weeks or whatever during the preceding leading up to the American version and putting them on... Um, you know, on ABC, maybe during the summer months or something like that. Or as far as the the accents and understanding goes, I mean, it just goes to show that the more the, the you know the, the more exposure you have to that, the more you're able to understand those accents and and terms. And by not being exposed by, um, I, I know this gentleman has um, seen Doctor Who and other British series, so he has more exposure to them. But just speaking generally, as far as America goes, it's very close-minded as far as a, you know, its stance on worldwide uh, consumption of television. It's If it's not U.S., it's not really shown on um, primetime television here in the U.S., it, which is unfortunate. Pretty much, um, I mean, unfortunately, the, the series ended really poorly. I don't know if um, what's his opinion now of Life on Mars after it's... Um, finale but i know many people here in the u.s even advocates and fans of the u.s version of it were disappointed with the way it ended yeah but i i hope that he he feels the need to email in and let us know then uh, in hindsight as to how he feels the series concluded and um indeed 
whether he's seen the original version of Life on Mars since then, the the British mm-hmm. version. He thinks of of the two. With anything, I think you have to give it a chance, you know. And you know, sometimes sure. you know, even with, he had mentioned understanding David Tennant at times. I know it took me a while before I realized, you know, he was saying Alonzi. You know, I, it's just to understand, you know, I, I wasn't capturing that as um, originally when he had said it, and uh, you know. So, but again, you just have to um, be exposed to it, and the more exposure you have to it, the more you're able to digest it and understand and understand it. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, I mean, the thing is, is that it's the same with um, the British as well. You know, sometimes there's a lot of American stuff that's quite difficult to understand or can be. But the more you're exposed to it, the easier it becomes. And um, and I think that's what gives it its unique quality. I mean, I enjoy the, you know, we always said, you know, on Doctor Who Podcast that we, you know, part of the reasons why we love Doctor Who is because it's British. And we would hate to see an American version of it. We don't want it. I mean, it, if it's shot here in the U.S., it's, it still should be British-made. You know, it's just uh, and still should retain all the British qualities that the series always has. And I, I think that's part of the attraction. There is the little nuggets that you get of British culture and um, and and tr- that can come in terms of uh, of, of language or just uh, terms and and. Um, culture all right well i think we had another piece of email see from anthony hello hitchhikers i am one of the hosts of the scotter calf podcast an enhanced podcast that reviews old episodes of red dwarf and tries to bring new fans to it and any fresh news just wanted to say that i'm really enjoying your show the latest episode definitely sounds better through having the spoiler alert than not having uh, to watch what you say, uh, I already listened to Cadmium Two, the British and British Invaders, so I wasn't sure if if I would want another British sci-fi cult, uh, another British cult sci-fi show. But I decided to give to give it a go. Glad I did. Um, now let me just take a break there. Cadmium Two and Br- British Invaders. I'm not familiar with those. James, do you know what they are? I, I listen to British Invaders. It's a podcast on british shows kind of like what we're doing here oh okay. a little, little bit yeah. different though all right obviously not the sci-fi uh, sci-fi slant yeah on our podcast i do podcast of the week a section which recommends podcast uh, which recommends a podcast to our listeners i think our listeners would probably enjoy your show and would and would be giving it a plug sometime our cast our podcast is fortnightly and the next few have already been chosen so it probably wouldn't be for a while i'm only give a talk about recommend about recommendation and if available i would play an ad so essentially i think he's asking for a promo for our show so what we do have is uh we'll we'll, we're going to be putting together a proper promo we have a promo that um i put together at one point for dr who podshock but uh outside of that we haven't done a um, a proper promo for Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, but we'll put together something, you know, at a future time shortly. So cool. I think that's does it for feedback. I don't know if we have anything else. I don't think we do. If if we do, it's certainly slipped through my net. 
It's been fairly quiet as far as British science fiction news as of late. You know, outside of The Prisoner coming out of San, um, the San Diego Comic-Con, there really hasn't been, you know, obviously there's been Torchwood news and, well, it's not necessarily Torchwood news, but just uh, the new series. Um, there hasn't been any new news as far as where Torchwood is going from after Children of Earth. There is canine news that John Leeson has agreed to voice canine in the new spinoff show. Which is interesting because originally they said that they were not going to be using him. I- including the trailer for the show. It's not his voice. Yes. Yeah. But they, they did make a point in the trailer saying that this was not going to be the final voice or, or you know, that they, they kept that disclaimer saying that, you know, things will change. So perhaps they were trying to negotiate something at that time or they knew they were going to try to get John Leeson on board. Yeah, maybe holding out a little either one side or the other or both. Mm-hmm. So that's that's news there. That's good news um, for canine fans, even though the new series looks the canine looks very much different than and I'm not even just looking. I'm not even just talking physical looks, uh, outward appearances, but it just seems like a very much a different flavor of canine than we're used to. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well. I think that's going to round out our show. Any other comments? Don't think so. It's been pretty cool. It's nice. uh, Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) until next time, thanks for listening to Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. See you soon. We'll be back. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. You can send feedback to feedback at hitchhikersguidetobritishsci-fi.com. Remember to support this podcast. Please visit hitchhikersguidetobritishsci-fi.com or simply arttrap.com and hit the donate button or visit the shop there and get your Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi swag. That includes shirts, mugs, and assorted trinkets with the show's logo. You'll be supporting the show in more ways than one. If you're not already a listener, be sure to listen to our Doctor Who podcast, Doctor Who Podshock. Go to thegallifernembassy.org or podshock.net for details. This is Louis Trapani. You can follow me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Trapani. You can follow James Norton on Twitter at twitter.com slash James Norton. And you can now follow Ken Deep on Twitter as well at twitter.com slash Ken Deep. Visit arttrap.com for more on this and other podcasts. This has been an Art Trap production. <laughs>